Welcome back. I'm Carissa, the UFCVM communications intern and pre-vet student. Working in veterinary medicine does not limit you to a species, lifestyle, or a 9-to-5 schedule. So listen in to hear about vet med and how to answer VEMCAST-related questions from the Assistant Dean of Admissions and Success, Dr. Ashley Allen. Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and I am so excited to continue season six with veterinarians and non-veterinary professionals to help you all understand the people skills from the VEMCAST letters of recommendation. And today, I have a veterinarian who I actually work right across the hall with, Dr. Ashley Allen. Dr. Allen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. This is my first podcast. And I'm really excited that you're going to talk to the students about understanding the veterinary profession. Students, I don't know if you know this, but on your letters of rec, folks have to check on a scale of excellent to poor about how much you understand the profession. Now, if you're having somebody who is not a veterinarian, they're probably going to check that box as not observed. But veterinarians are going to be able to check that box. So Dr. Allen, I think you're a perfect guest to talk about understanding the profession because you are living in it. Can you tell us a little bit about your education? Where did you get your undergrad? Where did you go to vet school, post-vet school life, and what you're doing now? Sure, Alex. Uh, So I'm Ashley Allen. I'm currently the Assistant Dean of Admissions and Student Success at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. Uh, That's a new role for me. So I'm I've been a clinical veterinarian for 12 years now. Uh, I went to veterinary school at Mississippi State University. I did my undergrad here at the University of Florida. In Go Gators. Sciences. Yeah, exactly. And I graduated in 2010 with no clear plan for what I was going to do in life. I had tracked large animal for a long portion of time and decided I wanted to do small animal kind of towards the end of my professional career or curriculum, I suppose. It was really just the start of my career. Yeah. Yeah. And then I did an internship at the University of Florida, mostly to get more clinical experience because I felt I lacked a little bit of the small animal experience. Is it because you had been tracking large animal that you felt like you wanted to do the internship? Yeah. I mean, we weren't like we didn't actually track at Mississippi State and like some veterinary institutions do. But my background was in large animal. So I had worked at a small animal clinic, and that was my only experience really in small animal other than what I did in vet school. So it was more probably like a confidence thing, just wanting to get some clinical experience under my belt before I went out into the world. And then I fell in love with emergency and critical care. So that changed my path forever, and I applied for residencies, and I ended up doing part of my residency at Auburn University, and then I finished up my residency at the University of Florida. Still, at the end of that, I needed to study for boards, become a criticalist, and I just really liked UF. I mean, go Gators. Why right? wouldn't you? It's the best. We love it here. It is. It's fantastic. So I stayed on as a clinical lecturer uh, trying to figure out the next path. And I've been here for 12 years now. I want to point out that this is a get having Dr. Allen on the show because you are essentially in charge of admissions. So I think the listeners are going to be really excited to hear what you have to say. Now, as a reminder, folks, our admissions process does work off of an admissions committee, but Dr. Allen is really behind the scenes and up front. Let's dive in. The VEMCAS application is essentially 
admissions committee members sussing out if a student understands the profession. They're looking for that through their essays, the letters of rec, the experience section. You know, does the student get it? So when we say understanding the veterinary profession, what comes to mind for you? Like, how do you know if a student gets it? I mean, that's a really hard thing, Alex. Yeah, it is. On paper, it is It is super hard. So where does a lot of that information come from? It comes from your letters of reference. Okay. So I think um, how other people perceive you uh, is very important. And what they write about you is very important because most of that is going to come across a little bit of it in your essays, for sure. So I would um, keep that in mind when you're writing your essays for any institution that you're applying for, is we will constantly be thinking, does this person have a grasp for what it means to be a veterinarian? Yeah. And then the other part of that largely comes from your references. Sure. Do you think sometimes it's almost more being able to see how they don't understand the profession? Because sometimes when I'm reading an essay, I'm like, ooh, that comment makes me think like you don't get it. Is that almost a way to figure it out too? Maybe some of the things they might say or hint at? Yeah, I think... um, yeah, I, I think it can go both ways. Yeah. I think that there are some things in applications that make me question whether or not they understand it or just understand what they wrote and how that's perceived by somebody who is in the profession. Right. right? So you want to be very careful about what you write in these essays and you don't want to throw people under the bus no. in essays. Like you are actually not a veterinarian yet and you haven't been through that experience. Mm-hmm. So I would caution people to be very cognizant about writing derogatory things about veterinarian, specifically in essays. Yes. And I would recommend, too, using a lot of I statements. So maybe instead of making sweeping, broad generalizations, if you want to make a comment about an experience you did have in a clinic, Mm -hmm. I would make it very specific to you without using anyone's name or the clinic name, but maybe saying, through an experience that I've had, my goal in the profession is to do something a little bit different. Instead of saying, you know, all veterinarians are in it for the money. Like I've seen that essay and that was like terrifying. Yes. Yeah. So making it more about you. Yeah. What are your goals in this profession? And I mean, there is no need or purpose in throwing anybody under the bus. No. I I mean, I just don't think that that's uh, ever needed in this this process. But what, what do you, maybe you've seen some issues, some challenges, and maybe you have a different idea and take on it. So let that shine, Sure, that you are an innovative thinker and you recognize these issues and this is how you like want to proceed within the profession and make things better without um, bringing anybody else down in the process. Yes. What I hear Dr. Allen saying is come with a solution. So if there's been something that you didn't love, instead of complaining about it in an essay or even complaining about it to a supervisor who might write a letter for you, yes, come with a solution about, hey, I noticed blank. How about we try this? That would be a a mature move. Fantastic, Alex. Yes, I 100% agree. Be a problem solver. Don't be a complainer. So Dr. Atlin, let's talk about when we talk about understanding the profession, are there any like key tenants or things that they should know that maybe if this is a pre-vet student who's just getting started, maybe they switched over from the human medicine side. When we think understanding the profession, what do they need to know? I mean, I don't think that you need the profession is so large. It is. It's and a hard topic. It is a hard topic because because I don't the profession is so varied yeah. that you might understand one aspect of the profession mm. really, really mm-hmm. well, right? Like if your entire pre-vet life has been working in small animal GP, like you probably have a pretty good handle on that. Totally. And that's not bad. You know, I, I, I don't think that's bad, but I think having a broader perspective um and just appreciating and knowing that there is more than just that one sector is in, is important. Yeah. Um. So I, like, I would have 
experience in one area and good experience, mm-hmm. right? Because you want letters and to write a letter, you need to know somebody. Sure. Um, but I would, the things that you do outside of maybe that one area or like maybe you have a job or whatever, like do it in something completely different. Yeah. Like when I was applying, I worked for a small animal GP. I was an assistant manager of a Western store. Oh, cute. Um, and then I also, I spent like one or two days a month riding with a large animal vet. And it, it just to just to get a different perspective. Yeah. Because you might be asked a question about something in an interview. People want to know that you know more than just one one area. A so. large animal person might review your packet. Sure. They want to know that they you get it. Yeah. Would we say that for those students who really understand the field in one area, let's say they live in a city mm-hmm. and they, they don't have access to large animal vets or, or someone in a rural community, mm-hmm. are there things that they could do on their own time Maybe take a class, listen to a podcast, watch some some videos that could help them understand the profession as a whole, and then they could write about it. Would you think that's legitimate if you're reviewing a packet? I'm an avid podcaster, so I don't. Um, I, what I listen to is not really pre vet material, sure. so I'm not sure what the market looks like on pretty on, much just us. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a there's a my veterinary life through the AVMA is another good one. Yeah. Um, I think the things that you can do on your own to put yourself in a stronger position to answer questions in, sure. a, in an interview setting is to really know the issues in the profession. And a great place to start, like I'm a huge fan of organized veterinary medicine, um, and I always have been, and a great place to start is literally like spend an hour just a month dabbling on the AVMA website. Yeah, There are so many resources on there that you can find. One of my previous residents has a blog and a podcast on emergency and critical care. Right. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff you can find online, but to me, there's nothing as valuable as experience. I think something that y'all need to be thinking about is students are making it happen. There are students who are coming in with large animal, small animal, research, extracurriculars, and they're going to be in your applicant pool. So maybe finding out how they did it, maybe looking into opportunities outside of your state. If you can do a summer internship somewhere, I understand that finances and accessibility is definitely something to consider. So maybe getting a scholarship for that. But you are competing against folks who are coming with that application pretty stacked. Yes. Who understand the profession. Um, On our podcast, you know, we talk about the importance of understanding one health. We talk about food safety. We talk about um, small animal, large animal. So listen to the podcast so you can get exposed to more parts of the profession. But Dr. Allen's right. You really do need to get that hands-on experience with a veterinarian. Yeah. Dr. Allen. Yes. Let's go from macro, right, talking about globally how they can understand the profession, to micro and your experience. Okay. Will you tell me some moments of maybe you really felt like you understood the profession or maybe you didn't? Like, what were some aha moments? Yeah, I I have, a, I think, a lot of answers to that question, and it depends on which phase of life I was in. So, oh, deep, deep. Like, in undergrad, I worked um, locally for a small animal veterinarian, and I think that that experience was very valuable to be able to be client facing and really understand both sides, the veterinary side and then the client side. Mm-hmm. I started as a receptionist and I think that it was super valuable to my ability to communicate with people yeah. and especially clients. I'm very empathetic to clients for sure. Um, and I think that the 
the thing that opened my eyes, though, was I had a friend who was a first year vet student, and she invited me to go on a trip to Hawaii with me. And I was like, why wouldn't I? Uh, and it was for the AVMA conference. So I registered <laughs> as a guest. I wish it was still there. Yeah, I know. It was great. Uh, so Hawaii was great, but it was also like it opened my eyes to what veterinary medicine okay. was beyond my small experience yes. in uh, one practice. Sure. Um, so I was registered as a guest, so I got to attend a lot of things with her, and I i mean, I just really opened my eyes um, to the research that went on, like the CE topics, like the paths that you could go down. Right. Um, so, and that was before I ever started vet school. So there's a tip right there. Like if you have a friend or if you work for a veterinarian and they're going to a conference, like, you can register as a guest um, with somebody who is registered as a veterinarian. Yeah. Um, and some, every conference is different about what you can and can't go to as a registered guest. Mm. So like maybe look into those things. But if you get one of those opportunities, even if it's locally, sure. right, every local place has some type of governing body for veterinarians. So Great we, tip. Yeah, yeah. So like go tag along and just like get a different perspective. So that was my, my pre-vet life. And then um, as a veterinarian, like... I think, emer- I mean, I'm biased, right? Because I've been living my life in emergency yeah. medicine. Yeah. Uh, but I think that over time, I think what's really opened my eyes and like given me just this huge view of the profession is it takes a team. There is no I in the process mm. of veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm. And so like that team might be you, a client and your technician and your receptionist. That team might be you and 42 other doctors in a ton of technicians and veterinary students, right? But there are so many people involved um, that you really need to be able to integrate within a team, work with a team, and have social skills. So you really believe this is a people profession? This is a people profession. Yes. And I I hear that some, you know, I mean, mean, maybe I was one of those people back then. And I don't know. I can't put myself 15 years ago. Maybe I was one of those people that would have answered, like, I like pets better than people. Right. But that is is not what veterinary medicine is. No. It is a people career. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. Ooh, yes, yes. Love that. Okay. Now you, on the way over here, you were telling me that you learned about um, maybe deciding that maybe horses weren't for you, which I find ironic since you were tracking like you did an animal science degree and maybe we're thinking about large animal will you tell us that story yeah yeah so and and to clarify there like the equine world and large animal are very different actually so So true so true so true i grew up on a cow calf ranch okay uh, and so like cows were my thing yeah uh, yeah growing up so and i thought i was going to be a dairy vet at one time because i just love dairy medicine but anyways here i am small animal criticalist uh 12 years later but i i didn't understand a lot of the I was on my equine rotation, and I really did not have any appreciation for the business mm-hmm. side of mm-hmm. a lot of things that go on in veterinary medicine. And that is true across small animal, large animal, uh, exotics. Like every part has some, except for maybe, I mean, it all, never mind. It all has some business aspect to it, right? Because people have to pay for the care that their pets are receiving. Right. Um, but I really didn't understand the equine industry at all until I was taking care of a mare. Um, that had a disease that basically affected potassium in her muscles and stuff. And the conversation, and I was, I just sat there listening to clinicians talking to clients and like the person, it wasn't actually the owner of the horse. It was the person that like brings the horse in and stuff and just like talking through the insurance part of um, the equine world yeah, uh, was, was very new and eye-opening to me about whether or not they wanted to pursue treatment or not versus the insurance policy on the horse. 
Um, so that opened my eyes to something completely new that I had never been exposed sure. to and uh, gave me a new appreciation for equine medicine and that it wasn't my thing. There's there's so many like layers and levels to that, and hearing that one example can make us as listeners start to think about what else do we not understand about the the piece of vet med that we are really interested in, mm-hmm. and the fact that for some folks their animals are family members, pets. For others, they're more about production. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are folks who you know own cows, and and they're not going to take them to the vet if they get sick because yeah. that animal is really there to produce something, and if it doesn't, you know, yeah. that animal is no longer need it. Uh, so it's really important for you all to understand maybe your values mm-hmm. as a pre-vet and as a veteran, veterinary student, and as a veterinarian, what things are important to you. You might be a horse person mm-hmm. who loves horses, but go into small animal GP because mm-hmm. you might not want to do the equine part of medicine. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot. That's a very like existential moment, I think, to have of, of realizing like, wow, there's a lot going on here that is behind the scenes. Yeah. And that I think that happens to you over and over and over again in the profession. And you just, you you I, you never stop learning. Like I'm a I'm a growth mindset type person. Oh, like we I love growth mindset. Never want to not be learning, and I and I think that that's just a good way to look at life. Um, and another like just another example of I was just like kind of blown away again was I was uh, involved in SAVMA, so mm-hmm. like the student AVMA, and I went I got a opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and do some lobbying for the veterinary profession. Neat, so that neat. was just another. It's there's so many different things that you can do in the profession yes. that I've been exposed to. And then and even this, this new role that I'm in now, like I would have never thought yeah. five years ago, 10 years ago, that I would be in almost mostly an administrative role with a still my clinical role because I love uh, taking care of patients. But I, yeah, there's so many different ways to go, honestly. Oh, it can be overwhelming. It sure can. And sure. So taking your time, mm-hmm. taking in bite-sized chunks, enjoying whatever stage you're in, not knowing where you're going to get to might help you enjoy the journey a little bit more. Yeah. Dr. Allen, mm-hmm. let's say that a pre-vet student was working in ECC with you, mm-hmm. and they say, Dr. Allen, you know I'm applying to vet school this cycle. Will you please write me a letter of recommendation? Mm-hmm. And you get to the section about understanding the veterinary profession for that student. What kinds of interactions would you have had to have with that student to give that student an excellent on their letter? Ooh, that's a really good question. And the, vi- the listeners want to know. The answer. Okay. okay. So, all right. So the first thing is, is I need to know who you are. Right. So you, like, again, social skills are very important. You can't volunteer at a place and hide in the corner because you're nervous to talk to people and expect somebody to be able to write you a good letter. Um, you need to put yourself out there a little bit um, so that the person that you're going to ask, and I would, this is what I always appreciate from people is if, if you have this like chunk of four weeks or two weeks that you are going to be volunteering for something, tell me on day one, hey, look, Alan, I want to go to vet school and like I want to form a relationship with you. And I'm hoping by the end of this four weeks, you would be willing to write me a strong letter of recommendation. So I think that step one, um, because then I automatically like have you on my list and I'm going to be paying a lot. I'm going to be paying attention. Yeah. Uh, a lot more, at least, right? Than, because you, there's a lot of things to oversee and manage in any practice, clinic, emergency setting, and so if I if I know that that's your goal, then I'm going to be more aware. Mm-hmm. And then the as far as like understanding the profession, I mean, what it comes down to to me is communication skills, work ethic, empathy. You know, like I don't want to if I don't want to see people complaining and bashing clients. Yeah, uh, or 
technicians or other people that are part of the team, like that already, like doesn't really have anything to do with like the medicine part of the profession, right. but it has everything to do with what it requires to integrate within our, the profession. And handle the job and, and enjoy it long term. Exactly. Exactly. So I think let them, somebody know up front that that's your goal. Mm. Show up on time. Put yourself out there. Communicate. Look for those experiences. Mm-hmm. Like There's usually so many things going on that unless you advocate for yourself a little bit, you could get lost in the weeds of everybody just like focusing on what they need to get done and forgetting that you're there, right. you know, so you need to like be in it and, and form relationships with people. Honestly, the idea of going up to a vet on day one, that takes guts. It and I, I'm glad you told them to do that mm-hmm. because I think that gives them permission to try it, to to see. And I it'll work for them. Like if you do a good job, that person's as long as it's you know available in their schedule and time, like I'm sure they're going to be happy to do that for somebody. Veterinarians do want to support y'all, but they can't do it if you're not asking. You have to ask. Yeah. You ha- you need to put it on somebody's radar, and on it, and it sh- also shows me that you can have that conversation. Yeah, you know nobody's like I can't imagine anybody saying no to that. I, I just can't. And well, maybe yeah. it, it's possible, and maybe some people would say that. Maybe they're going to be on vacation for sure. a week and a half when you're there, and they're sure. just like, I can't be that person, but let me help you find somebody that exactly. Can. And that's what right. you all should follow up with. If you do get the no, follow up with. And if, you know, Dr. Allen, if you're not available, who should I ask next? Who would you recommend that I ask? Exactly. I would like to hear from you since you are now a huge part of the admissions process. You've sat on the admissions committee for many, many moons. Can you talk about just how you approach a packet? I think students feel better when they understand a little bit more about the admissions process. It can seem very maybe like vague or gray or they just don't know how it goes. So as an admissions committee member, will you just tell them like how you look at a packet? Yeah. Um, so I I usually look for somebody that is very well-rounded. So and what tells me that somebody is very well-rounded is a, a lot of times it's partially what you write in your essays, right? So make sure, oh, this is another great tip. And I just had a follow-up with an applicant from this cycle and told her the exact same thing. But we veterinarians care. Like, we want to help you. Uh, and and I don't, maybe some people out there don't have the time, the capacity, or whatever, and hopefully they'll be honest and say no to you. But ask the veterinarians you're working with to read your personal statement. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it's personal and it's supposed to be you, but, like, I think getting their feedback on a personal statement can really help uh, fine tune some things that could be taken. Because remember, the people on most committees that are reviewing your packet are veterinarians. Right. And so um, I think it would be wise to to get some feedback. But uh, so your your essays to some extent for sure. And then there's an, an R, and I think it's like this for all Vimkis, and I think most people use the, or sorry, WebAdmit. Um, Platform. Sure. So WebAdmit is the website part of Vemcast. Thank you. Yeah. They they. So when you all open up Vemcast, you fill it out and it looks like really pretty and it's very PDF. And then when we look at it from our end on the office side, it's very. It's called WebAdmit. It's very HTML basic mm-hmm. in your face text. Exactly. Yes. And and at the very bottom, and I usually scroll to the bottom of somebody's application first. Um, there's uh, a category, they're like little tabs that I'm looking at. And those little tabs say animal experience, work experience, volunteering, extracurricular. Research and veterinary. Thank you. Yep, there are six sections. Exactly. And I just open each one of those tabs. Me too. 
And that's my starting place because it gives me some idea of how well-rounded is this person? Mm -hmm. Like, do they have things outside of the profession that they're involved in? Because I think you need to have things outside of the profession that you're involved in. Uh, Do they volunteer their time anywhere? Do they have any experience before I then go back and I read all of their essays and Mm -hmm. everything like that? So, and I think that, I think that there's a, a little bit of a hack here that I can, I can see why some people lump Maybe they had a job, right? Or maybe they had three jobs, but they were all in veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm. And they put all of those under animal experiences. I would say to spread stuff out a little bit because I can look at it. I can click on this little thing and it'll tell me whether or not you got paid or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that it's a job versus not based on looking at the application. But I think I would, if you have had jobs and you have had other experiences with animals, like you went on and did an internship or you went on some, you know, one of those trips to do uh, conservation medicine or like those types of things, I would spread it out. So I would put the things you weren't paid for under animal experiences. I would put things that you were paid for under jobs or employment or whatever the tab title is. And then I would anything under extracurricular. Like I've talked to people now and they to do like post packet review type situations and just trying to help uh, give a little feedback. Mm -hmm. And they have stuff that they just didn't put there because they didn't think it was relevant. Every time. And it's relevant. It's relevant. I want to see that you have some capacity for room outside of the profession to engage, right? Because you're going to do that for, I mean, forever in in the veterinary profession, you know? And so that skill set in advance, I mean, that's one of the ways that we suss that out and look at it. Um, So I start at that bottom tab. Then I'll go back up and I'll read the essays. And then I open every letter of recommendation yes. in one web page. So, like, I have your packet open. I have already looked at the experiences. I've read your essays. And then I have every letter of recommendation open. And I read every single one of them. Um, and so I think make sure that you have people that know you um, that that write your letters. I just want to say that you and I look at packets exactly the same. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> and it's... It's good for them to know because I think when a student is filling out the application, they're doing it in a way where I think they feel like it kind of comes out. Because if you print your application, it can be a 40 to 60 page document. And maybe students are thinking like, oh, they're going to look at it in this way. And each person really does look at the packet differently. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us do look at the packet from like an efficiency standpoint of let's open all the letters at once. We can kind of compare. Let's look at the experiences, see what's missing. Uh, So it's great for y'all to know that. My advice is always, if Vemcast is asking for it, you should probably do it. So if they're asking for research, even though it's not required, I would do it because we're going to see that it's missing. It's not there. Yes. Yes. So that's a reminder for everyone to listen to season four of the show when we go through the entire Vemcast application to help you understand how to strategize those sections better. Dr. Allen, when when Dr. Allen was working as a receptionist at that clinic, she could have put the receptionist work under employment. And then once she got in the back, that can go under animal experience, vet experience. You, I really agree that you should separate experiences if it's applicable. If you are in the, let's say, pre-vet club and you're currently in the treasurer position, but you're going to become the president, I would make those two separate lines. I would too. When people do treasurer, comma, president, I'm like, that looks like you're doing both at the same time. But really, you had a promotion. Mm -hmm. You went for a new position. Mm -hmm. So separate those things out. 
Same if you change roles in a in a practice. Yeah. So like I was a receptionist for a year and a half, and mm-hmm. then I became like runner technician. Those so like separate those experiences out. Yes. And I like. I know that life is different for everybody, and there are only 24 hours in a day. And I and I look at some of these applications and see how much people do. But I think there is really, truly something to be said about paid employment. Um, Agreed. A two-week shadowing experience is not the same as, like, being immersed, being paid, mm-hmm. being part of a team. And um, so I would, I would highlight your employment experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Put your hands on something. Exactly. You mentioned – extracurriculars and and having things outside of the profession. Do you mind just telling them who you are outside of being a veterinarian? Because you're doing a lot. And I think it's great for them to understand that we really do want folks who have outside activities, relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I have no problem with that. Uh, So I'm uh, mostly a mom, you know, and that's probably one of my proudest accomplishments. Uh, So I have three kids. I have a two-year-old. I have a five-year-old and I have a six-year-old. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those are fun ages, uh-huh. all to have at one time. Yeah, and there's different seasons of life, right? So you'll have different <laughs> parts of you depending on which season of life you're in. So, like, I'm in the mom season of life for yeah. sure. Um, but I also, the things that keep me sane and um, the managing everything is I am a runner. So yeah. I, I ran the Key West Half Marathon on Monday. And yeah, it was you did. awesome. And I pushed my two-year-old daughter in it. And it was oh, great. yeah. I didn't know that part. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. We That's... pushed her across the finish line. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I am, I'm a runner. I like gardening. I oh, yeah. Always... You have a ton of plants in your office. I do. Mm-hmm. It's like a little rainforest. But it's there. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Those are probably like momming, gardening, running, yeah. running. Those are my predominant ones at this moment in time. But I think that, again, like depending on where you are in the phase of life, like I love to fish. Huh. Mm-hmm. I've always had a, a service side of me, you know, so I that's why I always like go for these roles where I can give back sure, in sure. various ways. And yeah, I think I hang out with my grandpa. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. grandpa what? Yeah. Gr- uh, grandpa Jack. Grandpa Jack. We yeah. love Grandpa Jack. Yeah, we love him. Um, I think sometimes students get so focused on the profession that they're just go, go, go animals and they forget to engage in the activities they loved their whole life. Mm-hmm. And if you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, Alex, no, I've only ever loved animals and that's it. I would love for you to go find a hobby. Yes. Maybe exercise that we can all be doing a little bit better. Maybe you want to start to learn to cook a little bit more. Um, spending time with friends. That's a hobby. Something to talk about. Yeah, it's a hobby and it's important. Like there, like you need to have a social, mm-hmm. de-stressed part of your life right. in this profession. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And it's actually well documented in a lot of well-being formats and the AVMA puts out a, uh, they do like a well-being summit, and it's one of the top five things um, to help your own like personal well-being is exercise and friends. I'm glad yeah. you gave research because I know, and I don't do this enough on the show. I'm just like, go do it, and I don't give a reason. So I'm glad you actually gave a reason. Yeah, for if that, I could so. remember all six off the top of my head, I would tell you. But well-being and friends are the two that I related with most. Mm. Uh, or sorry, exercise and friends, and I try to combine them. So like my ECC world, we like to go for running right. trips, you know? So you all can feel like if you're feeling overwhelmed, combine a few of these things into one activity and Google the AVMA top six uh, life factors that can affect your well-being in the profession. Yeah, specifically on the well-being summit. It's one. a little PDF that'll pop up. Anybody has access to it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talking about understanding the profession, Let's let's figure out some tips for them for what they could do today to understand the profession a little bit better. I mean, to be honest, listening to the show, I think it's something that they're doing right now to help understand the profession. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that they can build their muscles to understand the profession further that folks will feel comfortable and confident checking that excellent box for them on the letter of rec? 
Mm-hmm. I think to check that excellent box on a letter of rec, you need a relationship with that person. So yes. if you do not have a paid job in mm-hmm. veterinary medicine, I mean, we are begging people to work in veterinary medicine right and now. And we have a sign that says we're hiring. Yeah. I mean, get get a job. Get I mean, a job. Even, even And you have to market yourself a little bit because maybe they're looking for somebody that can work 30 hours a week. And totally. You only have 10 hours a week in right. your life. But that, that like, be, getting those types of paid positions yes. revolves around you being brave enough to go talk to somebody. Sure. These are my goals. This is what I want to do. I have great work ethics. I really want this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And put yourself out there a little bit. All they can do is say no. Right. right. And I want y'all to identify the problem because we're asking you to form a relationship. And you have to ask yourself, why haven't I formed the relationship yet? Is it because I'm shy and I haven't spoken to somebody? Is it because I don't have the hours to go and work a job? Okay, let's rework our class schedule. Is it because I don't have a car and so I can't get to a location? Is it because maybe I've just I've never really had those people skills, so I need to go watch some LinkedIn learning trainings to figure out how to make better eye contact, how to talk to somebody? Mm-hmm. So identify the problem with why you haven't built those relationships yet. Damn, that's good advice. That is great. That advice. is good advice. That's great advice. That's good Alex. advice. So, what advice do you have uh, for them, Dr. Allen? So, our audience is mostly pre-veterinary students from all stages of life. Could mm-hmm. be, could be fifteen, could be forty-five. Um, we also have some DVM students who like to listen. So, what do they need to hear from Dr. Ashley Allen for big life advice? Big life advice. Yeah. I, so, big life advice is to doing hard things makes you a better person. So you need to like reach the edge of your comfort zone and push past it in life to get to where you, to really grow. And I think that there are so many things that you can learn right now via podcast, YouTube. I mean, you name it. You can learn anything right now. Yes. Um, sitting behind your computer screen. Not that I advocate for that because you need to have social skills and be able to talk to people. But you could form a little group of people. Maybe you guys are all trying to get into vet school together and like share resources um, about what you've learned and the things that you've you know found valuable online and stuff like that and there's your social aspect but you can but still have that time where you are sitting behind a screen you know and just learning more about the profession in general yes so yeah you can tie those two together yeah form yourself a little social group of people with shared interests and build a community around it and then share resources with each other um other big life advice things i'm a huge advocate and probably alex probably knows this although i'm not sure she does but financial literacy to me is very important. Oh, it wakes me up in the morning. <laughs> yes. So I think um, have a plan. You don't have to. I would like enjoy the journey. Like vet school was one. Of, they were four of the best years of my life. And I didn't know anybody when I moved to Starkville, Mississippi, except for my roommate, who was a UF undergrad student as well. Oh, fun. And I and just enjoy it and and put yourself out there to talk to people, build relationships. Don't get so funneled down into grades, 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 grades. Grades are important. You have to pass. You have to pass to become a veterinarian. But you also, I don't want you to miss the beauty of the experiences you mm-hmm. have by putting yourself out there with people um, and having that growth mindset of just learning something new that maybe has nothing to do with veterinary medicine, but I guarantee you will help you at some point in your life. With a budget. With a budget. Do it with a budget. Do it with a budget. If you do want to know, uh, learn a little bit more about financial literacy, our ebook on financial literacy is in our pre-vet toolkit online. Love it. Google it. It'll pop right up. There's some also great resources in that book for you to continue your education on financial literacy. Listeners, you wouldn't know this because she's being such a wonderful, quiet intern, but Carissa is in the booth with us. Carissa, I'm just going to turn this towards you. Um, Real quick, Carissa, how are you feeling after listening to this podcast? Do you feel like you understand the profession more? What do you want to tell the folks who are listening at home? 
No, I definitely love it. I've had a great time listening. I've learned a lot for sure. Um, there's a lot of different aspects and I've heard a lot of great tips today. Dr. Allen, thanks so much for being in the booth today. Thank you for inviting me. This was great. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon. Um, I don't know. It's a vibe. It's I a, love being here. It's a it's vibe. A, this is a vibe. It's a vibe. And what is the vibe? Or it just is a vibe. It is a vibe. Thank yeah. you, Carissa. Yeah. I really need you guys to give back to me Wait. at some point and teach me the lingo things as I have three small humans. What did you take that from that when she said it, this is a vibe? Like, what do you, what did you get from that? Like, what did that mean to you? Uh, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. It's, it's, cool. it's good, right? It's yeah, a good thing. It's, it's, yeah, it's, cool. it's not bad. Okay. Yeah. Mm, it's mm-hmm. a vibe. Mm-hmm. I need to learn this, this new language. We'll get there. For sure. We'll get there. Mm-hmm.